So my first question is, when were you born? 10, 10, 31. 1931? Yes, I'll be 90 this year. Whoa, that's awesome. And I was born at home in the West End. You were born at home? At home. Oh, wow. My mother said she was cooking lunch, and all of a sudden, here I came. (laughs) Retired nurse Betty Connors grew up on Bar Street in Cincinnati's West End. Yeah, they tease me because I eat so much, and that's why they keep telling me about being born while she was cooking lunch. (laughs) You wanted some lunch. I was ready for it. Hear her story in Episode 13 of the West End Stories Project. I'm Key, manager of the Cincinnati and Hamilton County Public Library's West End Branch. Thanks for listening. During the Depression, Miss Connors, her three siblings, mother, and grandparents shared a small apartment on what was then Bar Street. When you came into our place, there was a big hallway, and it was wide, and there was a double bed put in there and a dresser, and that's where we three girls slept. And the biggest room with the stove and the fireplace was a combination living room, my grandparents' bedroom. My brother had a rollaway bed, which he kept at the head of our bed, but he'd open up at night and sleep in the kitchen. In fact, it was a joke in the West End once my grandparents moved out and they moved to Dayton Street. When my brother would get mad at my mother, he'd fold up his rollaway bed and a change of clothes and push it to Dayton Street to my grandmother. <laughs> when he'd get mad at my grandmother, he'd roll his bed back up and come back home. And uh, neighbors would call. Tommy's heading toward Dayton Street. Tommy's headed toward Bar Street. And it was just a thing in the... Uh, neighborhood once he got to started doing that that everybody looked out for you and you didn't you obeyed every adult in the neighborhood and we were the third house from the corner on the corner was a restaurant and then there was a house similar to ours and then us Across the street was on the corner was an apartment house with a laundry on the first floor. We had our grocery store, which was close by. It was run by a Jewish couple, and they were nice. And we had church, and church did just about everything for us, Calvary at 7th and Smith Street. <laughs> 
they had a tunnel that, quote, they told us that led to the river and it helped slaves escape from the river to 7th and Smith Street. And that's, of course, been torn down years ago. Like many African Americans at that time, her parents and grandparents migrated north to Cincinnati. Her mother was a home health aide, and her father was a merchant seaman. My mother was born, I was told, later in life in uh, Michigan, but most of her family was from Somerset, Kentucky. My grandparents were from Somerset, Kentucky. Where was your dad from? Uh, Tennessee. And most of my life, he was a merchant seaman. And at that time, they couldn't go south with their ships. So when the ship was going south, he would be on leave. Okay. Now, was it that their ship couldn't go south because Uh, they were black? He couldn't go south with the ship because he was black. That's oh. what they told me. And they said he that's why he would get leave every now and then. And that's when he would come home? That's when he would come home. So your dad was away a lot. What what was yeah. it like with your mom and dad? Well, I don't have a lot of memories of them. Mostly since we lived with my grandparents. My grandmother and grandfather was predominant uh, custodians of us. And what were your grandparents like? Funny. Very funny. My grandmother never worked outside the home. My grandfather worked at the Metropole Hotel. And uh, I can assume that he was just the shoeshine boy because there weren't too much work for blacks in the hotels back then. My grandfather's name was Rufus, and somehow or other somebody taught us a little thing to tease him with, and we'd say, Rufus Rastus Johnson Brown, what you going to do when the sun goes down? And I remember that, teasing him like that all the time. (laughs) That's funny. <laughs> yes. Can you imagine four kids riding him, like uh, riding his back while he crawled around the house and teasing him like that? It's all in good fun, it sounds like. Yeah, though. it was. And he never got mad at us. She attended Harriet Beecher Stowe School, which still stands today, on 7th Street. It was established in 1914 by educator Jenny Porter, to provide equitable education opportunities to black students. Main thing we were told to do, go to school, get good grades, stay busy. And we did that. They made sure we stayed busy. Back in those days, at Stowe School, you had the advantage of free music lessons, free dance lessons. And there was always something going on, and there was a competition to get good grades because you got paid for every A by the principal. 
And once you got your report card, there was a long line in front of the principal's office waiting for him to get paid for A's. We had a school band and a school orchestra. And then we had a choir, which was run by Miss Greer, the music teacher. If you played a music instrument, the school supplied the instruments, except mine was given to me by Mr. Keyes, the music teacher. I played violin. So there was enough things to keep you busy and keep you out of trouble. It was really home for a lot of the kids from the West End. When you had nothing else, you could always go in that building and know somebody there cared about you. Although her mother's occupation informed her decision to become a nurse, a staff member at Stowe School helped solidify it. The person that impressed me as nursing was the school nurse at Stowe School, Gladys Callender. I just thought when I when I went to school, she was the most wonderful person. And at that time, the school nurses were very proactive with the kids. And you got your shots at school. They would do it by classes. And you would line up down at the nursing office, and she'd give you all these things. And I felt lucky I got to work one day with Gladys Callender after I graduated. I was assigned a nursing home. And when I went in, she was there. And we both talked forever about Stowe School. She was a beautiful person, loving person. In fact, all all the teachers at Stowe School were like family members. They really took uh, interest in the kids, your grades, your problems, whatever. They were there for you. Where did you go to high school? I went to Hughes because of the violin. I had passed the Wanted Hills test. But uh only school in the city that had an orchestra was Hughes. All the rest had bands, and you can't march in a band and play a violin. Mm. Now, I've heard some not-so-great things about Hughes at that time. What was it like? Uh, well, since there were only four blacks, we kind of stuck together. We couldn't take swimming except on Fridays at the last bell. And there were just some some classes you didn't feel comfortable in. But since I was there for my music, the music teacher was very good. And he didn't show any difference as far as I could feel between any of the students. So most of my... Uh, Life at Hughes was around the orchestra. Before she graduated from Hughes, she met music student Charles Connors, who would eventually play bass trombone with Duke Ellington for 33 years. Uh, The Jabberwock was a thing that was put on every year by AKA Sorority for scholarships. And... uh, 
it used local talent most of the time. And the kids who took dancing like I did, we did what they called the prologue and epilogue. We'd start the show and end the show, and it usually was with dancing. And those dancings were, we were usually students of Jenny Austin Fletcher, who was the gym teacher at uh, Stowe School, or Marion LaCour, who taught at the conservatory, who was a friend of Jenny Fletcher's, and Bobby Baker Fairfax, who taught tap dancing to the kids in the Y. And they would build the show starting, and then they'd have other acts in between. But it was a fundraiser by the sorority to give scholarships. And it was a big thing all my childhood. Everybody looked forward to the Jabberwock in the spring because either to be in it or to go see it. But it was always at the task. And my husband knew the piano player and knew he knew me. So he asked the piano player to introduce him to those legs. And the piano player was my accompanist when I sang. So when I went to rehearsal at the piano player's uh, apartment one weekend, my husband was there and he introduced us and that's how we met. Wow. What did you like about them? At first, nothing. (laughs) Not a thing. He didn't dance. He didn't sing. All he could talk about was his trombone. And then my mother taught him to dance so he could take me to a prom. I don't know whether it was my prom or some other school I was invited to. And, uh, he would come around the house and sit and talk to my parents and grandparents. And slowly but surely, I took a liking to him. <laughs> but at first, I thought he was very boring. He was cute, but very boring. <laughs> That's funny. You want to really laugh, listen to this. I thought the first time he kissed me goodnight on my lips, I was pregnant. I went in the house crying. Mama, I'm sorry. I know I'm pregnant. She says, well, I said he kissed me on the lips. And she did. She just cracked up. And she (laughs) says, well, let's sit down and have a talk. So we sat down and gave me the talk. You're very innocent. I was very. Very innocent, very trusting. Thank you so much for listening to this installment of the West End Stories Project. The West End Stories Project is brought to you by the Cincinnati and Hamilton County Public Library and is co-produced by your host, Key, and our grants librarian, Kent Mulcahy. If you like what you've heard, listen and subscribe to the West End Stories Project wherever you get your favorite podcasts and help us get discovered by leaving a review. Thank you.
for this. With music, I was more interested in singing, but I never thought I was going to be a good singer because I'm small-breasted. And I <laughs> used to call singers that had big breasts their airbags, and I used to tell my mother, I can never be famous because I don't have airbags. And she explained to me that you don't breathe through your breasts. <laughs> I can see how you think that, though. Yes, because if you think about it, every opera singer had those big ones. 